This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, 89.3 in Morris, Joliet, 88.9 FM in Rockford area, and Marengo, Harvard, and Belvedere, covering much of central Illinois and also northern Illinois, and still growing thanks to you. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn, and uh, we hope that everyone out there had a very, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you as well, and hope you had a Happy New Year's Eve and Happy New Year's Day and uh, have a happy new year's also to come remember also that we're always brought to you by you it is you out there that make this show possible and make our stations possible and uh, make all of the programs that we bring to you from ewtn possible so whatever you can do to help us is always appreciated and uh, we if you'd like to make a donation and we hope you would you can make that donation by going to our website, and that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. You'll find out how to do that and a lot of information about us there as well. If you would like to call us, you can call us at 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. And as I said, uh, I'm here with my wife, Lynn, and uh, we're still in the Christmas season, and Lynn will explain that a little bit before we start. Uh, this is January 6th, and uh, it is still a Christmas theme yet, and we're going to get into that as we promised you before we were gone for the last two weeks. So I'm going to turn this over to Lynn, and she'll talk a little bit about the Christmas season. Now, the Christmas season goes from the Christmas Day until... Actually, in the church, in the Catholic Church, it goes to the baptism of Christ. The readings and uh, so forth are from are still the Christmas season until the baptism of Christ, which will be next next Sunday. Now, today is the sixth of January, and this is a feast of the Epiphany. It's the twelfth day of Christmas. You know, the song, Twelfth Days, you know, Christmas. Well, this is the twelfth day, and this is when we celebrate the three kings coming to find Christ. And this is symbolic in the sense that when they came to find Christ, it's the first Gentiles that came to find the Christ child, kind of represent the rest of us. Because see, uh, and Bob, that's what the topic today is going to be about the three kings and the feast of the Epiphany. You know, in Eastern Church, this is a great feast, more so than well, Christmas is too. But the Epiphany is a a sub greater celebration in the in the sense that this is when gifts are given exchanged among friends, so forth. I know we had uh, friends from uh, Russia, and 
Christmas was a solemn feast day, but Epiphany was the day to really celebrate. So I'll turn this over to Bob. Exactly. What you're talking about is exactly true. And what we're going to talk about today is the mysteries of the Magi. And uh, it's taken from an article in Catholic Answers. It's the 2019 November-December edition of Catholic Answers magazine. And uh, it's a very interesting article. Jimmy Aiken is uh, a very good apologist and also uh, very good at uh, historical things. And uh, what we talk about in the Mysteries of the Magi is exactly when we talk, say, three kings, were these people really kings? Were they other types of dignitaries? Where were they from? Who were they really? And again, as Lynn mentioned, we are still in the Christmas season here on January 6th. And we should remember that uh, the Magi, of course, did not uh, visit uh, Jesus on his birthday they were aware because of the star or whatever the sign was in the sky that they saw that there was the birth of a great king, but uh, they didn't get there right away. In fact, it's possible that they didn't get there for maybe two years, so two years after the actual birth of Christ. So we're very timely on the 6th of January here, and we're still within the Christmas season, and uh, we haven't missed it. And some people would think, well, we should talk about these mysteries and so forth before Christmas because it makes the season uh, more mysterious and so forth. Uh, but the fact is, is we're more historically accurate by discussing and talking about them now than we would be if we talked about them before the day that Christ was born because the, the Magi didn't get there until after. And uh, we are going to talk about that and explore that just a little bit more. So, uh Last time we talked about the some of the uh, myths around Christmas that uh, atheists or uh, sometimes uh, people who are anti-Catholic try to promote. Uh, that we talked about the idea that some people think that the uh, whole idea of Christmas came from the uh, celebration of the sun that the Romans practiced, and we found out last time before we uh, uh, right before Christmas that that's not the case actually. It was the Romans who developed this whole idea about the sun after, decades after, uh, the, the Christians were already beginning to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. So it was the Romans that were doing the copying, not the Christians. But uh, this, this time we're going to talk about the, the mysteries of the Magi. So I'm going to read from this article, and we'll talk about some of the things uh, as in possibilities and so forth as we go along. Uh, it says here, Uh, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And we find that in Matthew. Wise men is a common translation in English Bibles, but it doesn't give us a good idea of who they were. The Greek word used here is magoi, the plural of magus. These terms may be more familiar from their Latin equivalents in St. Jerome's Vulgate. We read that magi came from the east. An individual member of the group would be a magus. So, who were the magi? Originally, the term magi referred to a group of people in Persia, which is modern Iran. 
around 440 BC, the Greek historian Herodotus listed the Magi as one of the six tribes of the Medes. Apparently, they were like the Jewish tribe of Levi in that they exercised priestly functions. Herodotus says that whenever a Persian wanted to sacrifice an animal to the gods, he would cut it up and then a magus comes near and chants over it the song of the birth of the gods, as the Persian tradition relates it. For no sacrifice can be offered without a magus. In the book of Daniel, magi are called upon to interpret dreams. The Persians also looked to Magi to interpret heavenly omens. Consider the case of the Persian king Xerxes I. Uh, In 480 BC, he asked the Magi to tell him the meaning of a solar eclipse that occurred as he was about to do battle with the Greeks. They told him that the sun was special to the Greeks, so when it abandoned its place in the daytime, the god was showing the Greeks that they would have to abandon their cities. This emboldened Xerxes, but things didn't work out so well for him. His expedition against Greece failed. Even so, this shows the original Magi were interpreters of astronomical importance, as later Magi would be for the Star of Bethlehem. Over time, the term Magi ceased to refer exclusively to members of the Persian priestly caste. The skills they practiced became known as magia, from which we get the word magic in English, and by the first century, anyone who practiced magic could be called a magus. Thus, in Acts 8, we meet a man named Simon, who was a Samaritan, meaning he had a mixed Jewish ancestry. Simon practiced magia, And so he became known as Simon Magus. Full Jews also could be Magi. And in Acts 13, we meet a Jewish man named Bar-Jesus, who is described as both a Magus and a false prophet. This means that in Jesus' day, the term Magus was flexible. So we need to ask another question. Who were these particular Magi? Matthew's Magi were clearly dignitaries of some kind. I mean, often they're called kings, but we don't know for sure that they were kings. They certainly had to be dignitaries. They certainly had to come from a higher class uh, status and had wealth. The fact that they could travel so far, the fact that they were able to give expensive gifts, and the fact that they were entertained by kings such as Herod, Herod, rather, that we'll get to shows that they certainly were some type of dignitaries. Uh, And it's shown by these facts that they saw themselves as worthy to congratulate a distant royal house on a new birth. An ordinary citizen wouldn't uh, feel that he had the authority to do such a thing. They had the resources and leisure to undertake such a lengthy journey. Uh, Most people simply wouldn't have the resources to, to go on and the money and so forth to go on on such a lengthy journey. They could offer costly gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were were expensive. (laughs) They received a royal audience with with King Herod the Great. I mean, a king isn't going to entertain just anybody that comes in off the street. 
So these people had some status, uh, and we know that. So they could have been some type of, uh, not likely kings, but probably uh, some type of dignitary from the special. Right, very important in the court of right, the king. Right, very important in, in that, and came from a group of people who were looked up to to interpret things and to uh, understand the, the, the heavens and understand astronomy and astrology and that type of thing. Uh, Matthew himself says that they came from the east, which from the perspective of Jerusalem would point to locations such as Arabia, Babylonia, and Persia. Jews lived in all of these regions. Consequently, some interpreters have proposed that the Magi who visited Jesus were Jews who would naturally be interested in the newborn king of their race. However, most scholars have concluded this is unlikely. If they were visiting Jewish dignitaries, Matthew would have identified them as co-religionists. The fact he merely describes them as being from the East suggests that they were Gentiles, as my wife said, as Lynn said, who came from a distant Eastern land. Matthew also tells us that they went back to their own country, suggesting they were uh, among its native inhabitants rather than Jews living in another country in exile. In fact, there is a theme in Matthew's gospel of Gentiles who respond to the true God. And so Matthew uses it to show his Jewish readers that Gentiles can be Christians. The pattern culminates in the Great Commission when Jesus tells the apostles to make disciples of all nations. And the alternate translation of that phrase means make disciples of all the Gentiles. So that's what uh, Jesus was actually telling the people to do. The Great Commission was actually go out not into only the Jewish areas, but go out into all nations, that is the nations of Gentiles, and make converts of Gentiles as well as of Jews. And of course, that's exactly what the apostles did, especially Paul. The Magi are part of this pattern. They are Gentile dignitaries who represent an early response to God's Messiah in contrast to the Jewish king, Herod, who seeks to kill him. This prefigures how the Jewish authorities kill Jesus, but Gentiles embrace his gospel. And I want to stress when we say the Jewish killed Jesus, we mean the Jewish authorities who were often pretty much above and separate from the people and not always uh, well-liked by the people. It was they who were jealous of this new king and uh, didn't want him to have the authority that he did and the influence that he had. And it was they who opposed Jesus, not the Jewish people in general. Scholars have concluded that Matthew's magi were Gentile astrologers from an eastern land, though we can't be sure which one. The earliest discussion we have is found in St. Justin Martyr, who around A.D. 160 said that they came from Arabia. Around A.D. 210, Tertullian deduced that this is where they came from based on the gifts they offered. Although in the ancient world, gold and frankincense frankincense were associated with Arabia, this isn't conclusive 
since they were widely traded all over the region. Many scholars have seen Babylon as a possibility, and the Jewish readers of Matthew would have been familiar with the book of Daniel, which associates Magi with Babylonia. It has also been argued that the major Jewish colony there could have given the Magi a special interest in the Jewish Messiah, though this was also a common expectation of Jews in other lands as well. Most church fathers concluded that the Magi were from Persia. Just after A.D. 200, Clement of Alexandria identified that as coming from there, and they were commonly depicted in early Christian art wearing Persian clothing. And that's something we should understand is that the peoples in various places dress differently from each other, and you could tell where a person was from, the region or the country that he was from, by the kind of clothes they wore. They may have been members of the original class of Magi. We're not sure about that. So the other question we have to ask is, how did they know about the new king? How did they know about Jesus? And so in the next uh, segment, we will get into that and uh, talk a little bit about the star and about how they knew that Jesus was born and uh, how we might interpret uh, that particular, those particular facts in different ways. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. This is Paul Garcia, and I host Catholic Conversations on Saturdays and Sundays at 3 p.m. My guests are mainly from the local community, and we always have something awesome to discuss. Be sure to listen to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you have some extra time, put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If If you're interested, call the station, 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas, Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. There's a new app. So Catholic Spirit Radio listeners with new phones, tablets, and other listening devices can also listen to our programs and podcasts. Go to your Google Play or Apple App Store to find the app Catholic Spirit Talk Radio. It's free. New app, same quality programs. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you're inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and catholicspiritradio.com. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking uh, about the uh, Feast of the Epiphany, January 6th, and we're doing that on January 6th, and 
You will hear that uh, on our broadcast tonight at 1030, uh, Saturday uh, the 6th at 1030. And then again, of course, uh, tomorrow, which uh, is Sunday the 7th, uh, the day after Epiphany and uh, the Epiphany. And yes, so the uh, church celebrates the feast on Sun, you know, Sunday. That's true. And because the evening masses today are really for Sunday. That's true. You're, you're correct there. So, but at any rate, we are timely. And this is a, a good time for us to be broadcasting the, the story of the Magi. Uh, and the question that at hand here is uh, how. Did the Magi know? How did they know that a new king, they didn't know who he was yet, was being, you know, born or was born? Uh, In popular accounts, the Magi are depicted as following the star that brought them to Bethlehem. That has led many to see the star as a supernatural manifestation that moved around in the sky in a way that stars don't. And that's one interpretation we can have but we don't necessarily have to have that interpretation either. There's another interpretation that is possible, and uh, Jimmy Aiken considers it in this article. Uh, <clears throat> but this isn't, you know, exactly what Matthew says. He doesn't say that the star moved around in the, in the sky and that the, the Magi followed the star in that manner. Uh, this is uh, something that is interpreted from the idea that the star was westward leading. And it well could have been, but that didn't mean that it had to move around in the sky. If uh, we see a planet in the sky, in the west, for example, it may look like uh, it's directly over a far grove of trees uh, from us. Or it may look like it's over a city. Or it may look like it's over a particular house or mansion or castle. But as we move toward that star, it keeps on proceeding away from us further and further. We don't, you know, it doesn't, it's, it, it's so high in the sky and in space that it's not over any particular place. We just see it as being that way. And as we move ourselves, as we move, the star seems to change positions. And this is, well, you know, what could have been happening because uh, Matthew never claims that they were following the star in that sense, only that it was ahead of them as they went to Bethlehem, and it would be. Just like if we see a planet, for example, in the western sky, and we start out uh, following that planet, as we travel along, we will continually see the planet in front of us. I mean, we're not going to catch up with it because it's way too far out in space for that. So this is what it would look like. What Matthew actually says is, in the days of Herod, The king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Exactly. And we will talk about what they mean by when they say we see his star in the east, because that may not mean at all what we take it to mean. It doesn't mean that the star is somehow behind them into the east like a person right. might think. And we will get to that uh, in a little bit. And that's an interesting point. And I'm glad you brought that up, Lynn, because uh, we need to interpret that and in you know, what they really meant by that uh, particular uh, phrase. 
And then the word wise men, too. We need to talk about that because they were not called by wise men by, by you know, in different accounts, they were called by different names, uh, not, not necessarily wise men. And if their journey took, say, say between one, you know, between one day and two years, if we want to put it that way, between the day that they saw the star and then the time they got there, however long that took, uh, they, in the eyes of various people and the stories about what they were doing and what they encountered, could have went from becoming simply magi dignitaries to wise men by the, the things that they found out and the way that they acted. And so the designations that people call these, these uh, travelers could have been different as time went on, as, as the, the, the fact that they gained knowledge and because they acted on that knowledge in ways that to later Christians were understood as being wise, they could have easily at, at later points been called wise men. So there's explanations for that as well. And we'll, we'll get to some of those. Uh, they weren't being led by the star for as Pope Benedict XVI points out, they initially went to Herod's palace in Jerusalem. So in right. other words, if the star was actually over the stable where Jesus was born, you know, low enough and right over it. So it was in a designated place. It really couldn't be something in the sky like a planet or a, a comet or some kind of other phenomenon uh, going on in the sky because those things are too high and far away to actually settle over any one place. So if it was something like that that went to a particular place, it had to be something that could move around and it would have to have been some type of more supernatural event that could only be explained by the power of God to change, you know, the, the, uh, some of the activity of the laws of the universe, the laws of gravity and so forth, uh, to do this. Uh, so that's a possible explanation. But the fact is, is that it, it also, the explanation, the, the description that Matthew gives would fit. <coughs> a heavenly body if if we assume that it couldn't have been over one particular spot. And this passage here, the fact that they went to Herod's castle, bears that out. I mean, because the Jesus wasn't at Herod's castle. These, these dignitaries would have made the assumption that that's where a great king, a forthcoming king, would have been born. He would have been born in a kingly palace to a, you know, a kingly uh, person. Right. And so Herod got, was uh, very perturbed about this. He's very troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, you know, where is this king? And he called all the chief priests and scribes of his palace and his land together. And he asked them, where is this child to be born? And the chief priests and scribes told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in by the prophet. And the prophet had said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. 
So it shows that the kings did look to the wise people around them, the ma- well, magi or whatever, and the chief priests answered these questions. And and exactly, and the magi would have had to find this out. They right. they went to Herod's palace if the star had actually been low in, in you know just a phenomenon that was near the earth and moving along in front of the Magi so that it was leading them to the exact spot where Jesus was born, they would not have gone to Herod's castle. They would have gone to Bethlehem instead, but they didn't know uh, the star was more of a sign saying that a king was being born, telling them when the king was born, but it wasn't telling them exactly where, except that they knew it had to be in the West, and so they surmised that it was at Herod's castle, giving us the evidence that they really weren't following a star that was pinpointing the exact location of Jesus. So it well could have been a uh, celestial sign in the heavens, such as uh, a planet or a star, and uh, it was giving them the general area, the general direction, and then they had to find out where Jesus was from there because the star wasn't really. And then it easily could be explained that as they went to Bethlehem and saw the star over Bethlehem, the same thing as as they went to Bethlehem and they were a distance away from it, it would appear that the star was over Bethlehem. And once they got there, they wouldn't no longer be concerned much with the star itself or the, the sign itself because they would have been to the place where Jesus was actually born given that information by the people who knew where the Messiah was supposed to, you know, to be born. So, uh, Right, yeah. and Herod t- tells the uh, wise men, you go find him, look for him diligently, go to Bethlehem, and when you have found him, tell me so I can come worship him too. Exactly. And, of course, these people didn't know that Herod was lying to them. They had to find that out. So, again, the journey itself and what they're doing and how they're finding Jesus and the questions they're asking and their persistence. I mean, these were dignitaries spending lots of money, lots of time, and lots of effort in searching out this new king. And so it would be easy for later persons to look at the facts uh, of their journey and what they did and conclude that these were wise men. They kept on searching. And it's something, of course, that uh, we still uh, should understand today when we see the phrase, uh, you know, that the wise men still seek him, that just as they sought him out and they went through a lot of trouble to find this new king, and they had the faith to keep on going and believing and searching, we too should be the same way if we're wise. That uh, following the stars is, as we'll see later on, and we maybe speculate a little about, might be more sensible and uh, than following, uh, you know, bureaucrats or something and thinking that they are the end-all and be-all and our saviors in this world. So it goes on, it says, when the Magi, it goes that they they weren't being led by this star. They assumed that Herod the Great or one of his sons had had a baby boy who would grow up to be a king. When the Magi learned there was no new prince at the palace, they had to consult with the chief priests and scribes to learn where they needed to go. 
and that was Bethlehem. The fact that the chief priests and scribes looked to a well-known prophecy of the birth of the Messiah suggests the Magi could have been could have seen the appearance of the star as signaling not just the birth of an ordinary king, but of a particularly great one, the predicted Messiah. So you can see the amount of things that they are learning as they go along and that they are taking in and acting upon. And again, this leads to the description of them being wise men and uh, being kingly, even if they were not actual kings in the sense that Herod was. Although Magi weren't following the star, it did tell them when he was born. For they said, we have seen his star in the east. And now I'm getting to that point, Lynn, when you talked about, you know, the star in the east. But let's look and see how we can interpret that. Recently, scholars have argued that this is a mistranslation and that the Greek face rendered, quote, in the east, that is, ente and atole, should instead be at its rising, that is, when it rose over the eastern horizon as the earth turned. In other words, the star in the morning would rise in the east and move westward, just like the sun rises in the east and moves westward. So they said when they saw the star in the east, there's not some kind of a contradiction there that somehow or another (laughs) the, the, the star is leading them westward, but it's in the east. It, you know, it can't be both. Most likely they were talking about a astronomical phenomenon, you know, that uh, the, the, the planets and so forth and stars and the sun and everything rise in the east because the earth is turning from west to east. So some have argued that this is a technical term for, for what is known as a star's heliacal rising, which occurs when it briefly rises above the horizon just before sunrise. So that's what it could very well and probably did mean when it says it rose in the east. The real question is, what told the Magi that the star was significant and why they linked it to a king of the Jews? Here, we can only speculate. The system of constellations in use at that time, which includes our own zodiac, was developed in northern Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, around 1130 B.C., and Babylonian and Persians astrologers used it. So they could well have been from Persia and uh, also Babylonia, but uh, the, the, the consensus is probably likely Persia. It's not surprising that they would associate a particular star with the birth of a king because at that time, astrology was used to forecast national affairs. Horoscopes weren't normally worked out and worked up for the hoi polloi. In other words, you didn't work up these horoscopes and have these expert people and so forth, these dignitaries and uh, authorities doing this you know, just for an ordinary uh, citizen you know, working on his farm. Heavenly signs were interpreted as having to do with things of importance, such as relations between nations, wars and rebellions, whether the crops would be good or bad, epidemics, and the birth of kings. What the star they saw might have been is difficult to determine, but one possibility is Jupiter. 
At that time, Jupiter and the other planets were considered wandering stars since they moved against the backdrop of fixed stars. Unlike some later Greeks, Mesopotamian astrologers didn't see the stars as controlling events on Earth. Instead, they thought the gods made their wills known through celestial phenomena, so it was a form of divine revelation. Jupiter was associated with Marduk, the king of the Babylonian pantheon, and it was often involved in signs associated with kings. For example, one Babylonian text says that if Jupiter remains in the sky in the morning, enemy kings will be reconciled. An Assyrian text indicates that if a lunar eclipse takes place and Jupiter is not in the sky, the king will die. To protect the king, the Assyrians came up with an ingenious solution. They took a condemned criminal and made him a temporary substitute king who could then be executed and save the life of the real king. So people are very clever, are they not? Yeah, they are. (laughs) So at any rate, whether Jupiter was the star the Magi saw depends on when Jesus was born, and that's also something that scholars debate. So we're going to have to go into the uh, idea of when Jesus was born, and we'll get into that here coming up in the uh, last segment. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks. Others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. This is Paul Garcia, and I host Catholic Conversations on Saturdays and Sundays at 3 p.m. My guests are mainly from the local community, and we always have something awesome to discuss. Be sure to listen to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you have some extra time, put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station. 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas, Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking about the mystery of the Magi. And uh, in our story, we're talking about the fact that uh, 
We have to determine if we're going to speculate that this might have been Jupiter. And remember, this is all speculation, but it's speculation based on a lot of facts that fit the various scenarios, and uh, all of them are plausible that we're talking about here. And Jimmy Aiken, I think, is doing a great job of uh, helping us to understand this. The question then becomes, well, when was Jesus born? He had to be born, of course, when Jupiter would have been in the sky at this particular time uh, and, and be able to be seen in the West. According to the most common account you hear today, Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., so Jesus would have to have been born before this. In Matthew 2.7, Herod secretly learns from the Magi when the star appeared. And in 2.16, he kills all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region. He's going to make sure that the, this rival king is not going to uh, <laughs> threaten Be him. his rival, right. Right. All these children were under, were two or under. So that gives you that timeline that perhaps the Magi came when Christ was around two. Exactly. And uh, Herod was being very, very careful. He's going to make sure he incorporated the whole spectrum there so that he was going to get the one that would threaten him, even if he didn't know for sure which one it was. This indicates the star was understood as appearing at Jesus' birth, which is to be expected since such portents were associated with births as opposed to conceptions. It also indicates that Jesus was born as much as two years before the Magi arrived, though it may not have been a full two years since Herod may have added a safety margin to his execution order. I mean, this shows how little concern Herod was with uh, all these children and with uh, the mothers and fathers of these children and with the people in general and uh, how uh, hard he was. He was concerned simply with his own <laughs> uh, safety or his, his own affairs, and it didn't occur to him at all to worry about the fact of what he was doing. Uh, we had Shakespeare talking about in, in one of his plays about someone who was like this and saying that the person out Herod's Herod, you know, and we have, we have people today. I think that, you know, aren't we out Herod, Herodine, out Heroding Herod uh, with uh, the millions that we kill in abortions. Right. It said many scholars have proposed, have thus proposed that Jesus was born around seven to six BC. And this is the date we commonly hear. However, other scholars have argued that a better case can be made that Herod died in 1 B.C. Uh, This likely would put Jesus' birth in 3 to 2 B.C., which is the year church fathers identify as the correct one. It also fits with Luke's statement that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, shortly after John the Baptist began his in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar uh, in A.D. 29. Subtracting 30 from A.D. 29, we land in the year 2 B.C., bearing in mind that there is no year zero between 1 B.C. and A.D. 1. So what was in the sky then? Well, we can work backwards with our astronomical knowledge today and find out. Regardless of which date of Jesus' birth is correct, It occurred in the first decade B.C. 
So what notable astronomical events took place then that could have served as the Star of Bethlehem? A large number have been proposed. One of the most interesting of these events was the rising of Jupiter and Venus on August 12th, 3 BC. Since Babylonian times, Jupiter was seen as a heavenly king and Venus was seen as a heavenly queen, suggesting a birth. Furthermore, the Babylonians named Regulus, the brightest star in Leo, the king. And the lion, that is Leo, was a traditional symbol of the tribe of Judah. So that could have been very important to these people. Also interesting is what happened on September 11th, 3 BC. In Revelation, John says, A great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. This woman gives birth to Jesus. Some have proposed that this encodes information about when he was born, when the sun was in the middle of Virgo, the virgin, and thus clothing it with the moon at her feet. So this description that we're given could have been the description of a constellation and uh, an astronomical event that takes place and did take place at that time. It would tell us then when Jesus was born. It encodes it. Obviously, we can't say which, if any of these events, corresponds to the star of Bethlehem without, without knowing precisely when Jesus was born. That's something the Bible doesn't tell us. And the church fathers had different opinions, with only some proposing December 25th. And I went into that, the fact that uh, some of the fathers deduced Jesus' birth from uh, Zechariah's time in the temple and when Mary went and visited her cousin Elizabeth and how far Elizabeth was along and the fact that Jesus was conceived six months uh, prior to, or after uh, Elizabeth's uh, six month of pregnancy and so forth. And they worked it out that way so that they figured out it had to be sometime in December and they arrived at the date of December 25th. So we won't go into that anymore, but the fact is is that there are other dates as well that have been proposed. That's one of them. The role of Jewish thought. Thus far, we looked at how the Magi would have interpreted celestial events in terms of established Mesopotamian astrology. This association with paganism gives rise to the question, would God really use pagan astrology to signal the birth of his son? Well, why not? I mean, uh, the church and God himself has incorporated much of uh, turned paganism into Christianity, and the church has done that and, and continues to, to do it, uh, to take uh, what is pagan and take the good part of what is pagan and uh, bring it into Christianity and make it something that celebrates uh, God, Jesus, and the, the understanding of Christians and so yeah, it keeps it in, in correspondence uh, with the Christianity that was growing and is still growing. Uh, that's a matter for God to decide. Scripture indicates God cares for all people and makes known to them in various ways. It wouldn't be so much God using pagan astrology to mark the birth of his son as choosing to preserve certain true ideas among Gentiles to point to this event. 
Also, if the Magi were Persians, they wouldn't have been Paul polytheists. By this period, the Persians did not believe in the old gods, and their dominant religion was Zoroastrianism. This faith taught the existence of a single, great, all-good creator God to whom they referred as the wise Lord and whom they believed would vanquish evil in the end, something that very much parallels Christian Christianity and paves the way for Christianity and paves the way for Jesus. Uh, in other words, if Jesus was born in the proper time when the time was right, and events and things were moving along in that direction and taking paganism further and further toward Christianity, toward Judaism, and toward you know the, the belief uh, that actually gave birth to the Western world. They believed in the renovation of the world, the final judgment, and the resurrection of the dead. So again, it shows that things were moving in the direction of Christianity. If the Magi were Persians, they could have seen themselves as spiritual kin to the Jews and as worshiping the same God, the only true God, using their own terms for him. Additionally, they may well have had contact with Jews living in their own land and thus may have come into contact with biblical revelation that influenced their perception of the star. They could have learned, for example, of the lion as a symbol of Judah, and they could have associated the coming Jewish Messiah with a star. One of the most famous messianic prophecies is that a star shall come forth out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. At that time, this prophecy had long been associated with the Messiah, which is why in the A.D. 130s, the messianic pretender Simon bar Kosiba was hailed as Simon bar Kokba in Aramaic, meaning son of the star. Well, what about astrology? What about the role of astrology itself in this account? Although astrology was popular among Gentiles, it wasn't so among Jews, many of whom looked down on it. This in itself argues that Matthew's tradition about the Magi is historically accurate. It's not the kind of thing that Jewish Christians would make up. However, while astrology wasn't as popular among Jews as Gentiles, it did exist. Genesis says that God made the sun, moon, and stars to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. This could mean that they are simply to be timekeeping markers. But some Jews thought that their function as signs included information about future events. Thus, the Dead Sea Scrolls contain astrological texts. In the ancient world, there was no rigid distinction between astronomy and astrology. It is only in the last few centuries that the two have been disentangled. This happened as scientists discovered that the effects the sun, moon, and stars do and don't have on life here on Earth. And this is, you know, something I would take issue with with Jimmy Aiken here. Uh, I don't think that we know enough about the the earth itself, let alone the sun and the stars, to really understand what kind of physical effects it could have on the earth and what kind of physical effects it could have on people. And I'm not trying to make a case for astrology here at all. 
Uh, but the fact is, is for scientists to say they know how the stars influence the Earth and uh, that they do not influence in one way or they do influence us another is far too big of a statement. And they're biting off way more than they can chew. Uh, there are so many things we don't know about the ground under our feet, let alone what's going on uh, with the universe, the stars and the planets and how they affect us. I do know this that uh, if you take a look at what's going on today and all the emphasis placed on the importance of politics, everything being political, that uh, I think the Magi were far, far, far wiser in consulting and looking at the stars and the wondrousness of the heavens rather than putting their faith in uh, Donald Trump's or in uh, Joe Biden's or in some of the people such as John Kerry or Al Gore or some of the petty bureaucrats that run around the earth pretending that they know everything. And uh, I'll take the information that they give us. And if we take a look at recent history of our wars and what went on recently in the Middle East and our failures and so forth, I think that some of the decisions that people made as astrologers or magi based on their interpretation of the stars were just as damn good as the decisions that we've made in the last 50 or 100 years. What do you think, Lynn? That's uh, true. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, subsequent scientific research shows, Jimmy Aiken says, that the stars don't have this kind of effect. Well, maybe, maybe not. Again, I'm not making a case for astrology, but I don't think we know for sure what kind of effect the stars, the planets, and so forth have. There's a lot of evidence that the universe, the stars, the suns, the earth, are all hooked up together in various ways, that they influence each other. Uh, there are good theories, uh, a plasma theories of the plasma in the universe, huge uh, electrical uh, streams of plasma, what they call plasma, a very ionized type of uh, material so fine and so forth, that stretches between the planets and the suns and moves material around and other things around. We don't know the kind of effects that they may have on our planet and on other planets and on what's going on in space. There is so much to learn, and the learning will be endless given the fact that the universe in space seems to be expanding and almost endless in itself. There are just so many things we don't know. And uh, this idea that somehow or another a bunch of petty bureaucrats know all what's going on in the earth and can decide huge uh, decisions and so forth for us and have the expertise to do so is just absolutely laughable. Uh, true. Very and, true. And, uh, so. you know, we have to remember God put the planets and the, the stars in the sky he had a very specific reason for doing that. Exactly. And it says in Genesis that he put him there to mark time for people. And the fact that he signaled the birth of his son with the star shows he can do this. This isn't what people think of as astrology, but it's part of divine providence. In right. fact, this doesn't appear to be the only time that God did something like that. On the day of Pentecost, Peter cited the prophet Joel's prediction that the moon would return to blood as fulfilled in their own day. And it so happens that on the night of the crucifixion, April 3rd, A.D. 33, 
a lunar eclipse was visible from Jerusalem, the moon did turn to blood. And so the prophecy did come true. And so the sign of the stars is very mysterious, but we can take a lot of it to be very explainable and to be very true. And we wish everybody at the last of this Christmas season again a very, very Merry Christmas and a very, very Happy New Year. And And let us pray for peace in the world. And we'll go ahead and say our prayer, and uh, we will go ahead and see you again then next week, and uh, we'll see what comes up in this new coming year and what we have to talk about then. So, St. Michael, the the Archangel, defend us in battle. battle. Be our protection protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. devil. May God God rebuke rebuke him, we humbly pray. And and do do thou, thou, Prince of the the Heavenly Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, God, thrust into hell Satan and all all evil evil spirits who wander wander through the world world, through the ruin of souls. souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 